The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. I also want to bring to you Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. For the last 50 years, Yukonuba has created premium nutrition that unlocks the power and potential within. From the unstoppable performance of the sporting dogs to the life-saving abilities of working dogs to the incredible companionship of service animals and family pets. Check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog today and go pick up a bag of the 3020 premium performance blend and guys last but not least i want to thank my affiliates lion country supply and garmin fish and hunt go check them out today for the spring training season all right guys back here for another 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 episode of the gun dog notebook podcast um thanks for tuning in you know if i don't say it enough thank you guys for tuning in um just a couple of things you know just to you know, clean up, I guess, the housekeeping, whatever you want to call it. But, um, so I've got this new interest, um, something else that I think I can work on with my dog. And, um, that particular thing is woodcock banding. So I messed around and reached out to Jerry Havel at, um, Pine Ridge grouse camp and, uh, asked him if he can go ahead and put my list on the uh the woodcock banding you know workshop seminar uh in may of 2021 um we're gonna go ahead and plan you know really far out because we also gonna beat this whole covid thing so i can do stuff like that we're gonna we're gonna get over this but anyway i wanted to uh go ahead and put that out there for 2021 um some you know vegas looks really really nice on woodcock and i i would love for him to get into you know, even more um, opportunities, you know, it's not just more of a reason for me to study the birds and, and learn them. I really like hunting them. Um, I still like my dogs broke on, on on wild quail, but that woodcock point is something else, man. Like it's, it's something else to it. It looks different. It's different energy, man, but I love it. It is a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so also... Um, because of that, I wanted to, um, also bring up the video that I enjoyed. It was, uh, it's, it's the new video that that's out by project upland and Northwoods collective, uh, woodcock banding an American woodcock society story. Um, and, and, and it features Bailey Peterson. And I just, I think that's the thing that really made me pull the trigger on hitting up Jerry Havel and saying, Hey, look, you know, I want to get into this. I, I think that's what that video did to me. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll keep moving on. But that's kind of one of my new interests and things like that. Um, also, I want to give a special thanks to the good folks and friends who sent me like really cool pieces. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like they all came in the same week. So I just want to express that gratitude. Um, Christopher Veldekamp or by the same week, I mean the same title period of time um i ain't gonna say it it didn't all come in the same week but 
it, it came within this the, the same few weeks how about that but anyway um christopher Veldekamp, uh michael kennedy jonathan slisky uh craig kashik steeple bell and sergio velez like you know they're good folks that i talk to pretty regularly um and and, and we always have a good conversation so i just wanted to personally say thanks to those folks um also one major thing is you can visit the minority outdoor alliance website now it is minorityoutdooralliance.org and i want to continue guys like we, we ain't forgotten about it and, and and i'm glad that so many of you guys have been so anxious to support and things like that um that's what it's about and you know, I want to go ahead and, and, and make this a long lasting effort. So in order to do that, guys, I need your support for Minority Outdoor Alliance. So in addition, um, go to the website, check that out. Me and Jennifer Wapinski have released two, um, two new pieces, two new articles um, for you guys to read if you were so interested. Um, but we're going to keep this thing growing. Um, I've got a lot of support from so many good people that we are currently in the works of doing things with right now and we are getting it going for the fall um the fall and the winter time so anywho um guys go and check out like i said minorityoutdooralliance.org and also the instagram account for minority outdoor alliance as well um follow us there um so you know i guess this is one of my last things but as I work on my book, I've been able to get connected to people who knew a lot of the African-American dog man that I was or I am looking, looking for, trying to look up and things like that. But I, I just want to share a little bit of gratitude um, to specifically to Billy Morton. Um, you know, he worked very closely um, with Man Rand, the um I think I would I, I would call man the greatest scout, you know, of all time, and and and, and probably one of the greatest dogmen of all time. But you know, we that's a subjective thing. We won't get too far into that. But um, I've been able to talk to Mr. Billy Morton quite extensively thus far in the last three days, I guess three collective days um allison stewart directed me to her and i want to say thank you allison as well but um you know it's good to be able to get those primary sources and, and original stories and photos of man rand and about man rand from mr morton so i'm just really 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 thankful for that mr morton is i think 80 84 85 one of the two 84 85 but um you know, he's sharp. He's very, very, very sharp, and he, he has a good sense of humor. And and I just truly enjoy talking to him. Um, so I'm getting some pretty, pretty good firsthand images um, from him as well. And and they they ran a number of dogs at the national championship, um, and they they've got generations of bird dog history in them. And I'm actually working on recording all of or as much as uh, of, of Mr. Billy Morton's story, his personal story as I possibly can. Um, I, I wish he'd have wrote a book. We talked about that too. But um, so that's that's that thing. Um, as we finish up, you know, I, I know I posted 
a great deal about uh, the books and things that I've been getting in the mail and went out to buy and this and that and, and that. And I will let you know what I am reading. And, uh, you know, I, and, and let you kind of know some of my thoughts on them. Um, just a little bit of my thoughts as I can go on for days. But anyway, um, I am reading right now uh, the Hoyle Eaton, uh, Hoyle Eaton's The White Knight Story. And it's a great book. It's actually signed by him. I got, I think I got one of the last copies out there. Maybe it was just, I don't know, but it seemed like it wasn't that many out there. And I know the Bird Dog Museum doesn't have any anymore when I called up there. So I'm glad I ordered it when I did. But it's The White Knight Story by Hoyle Eaton. Um, and I'm also reading Hunting uh, and Fishing in the New South by Scott Giltner, um, in addition to Black Faces and White Spaces um, by Mrs. Finney. Um, I got to remember, I can't remember his first, her, her, her first name, but anyway, last name is Finney. But um, I do want to talk about the White Knight story, and, and I liked it. You know, because when you boil down the traits of Riggins White Knight, you know, he was what I think the definition of a champion should be, you know, to win the aims. I mean, I, I that's just kind of where I'm at. And I, I'm the more I get into this story and I see why Mr. Farrell Miller bred off, you know, started his his own line of dogs off of White Knight. You know, because White Knight was just a natural. You know, he was truly excellent with his bird work, and he kept growing and getting better over time. You know, he didn't just plateau and that was it. You know, he was nine when he won the championship, when he won the aim. So, like, that to me shows a dog that that is just progressively, gradually getting better. Um, you know, and he was highly successful early on and highly successful later in life. Um and I like I, I like that growth. Um, so that was kind of one of the, the things that I liked about um, about the White Knight story. I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, it's obviously firsthand, but it's a pretty you know detailed uh, outline for you know for 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 what a lot of folks can say about their dogs you know and 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 he's one of the, the if you've got miller in your bloodline it's likely your dog can be traced back you know that far so that's just kind of something that i'm thinking about guys and um also mr steeple bell sent me a number of images um little five by sevens or whatever but i've got joe bush in here i got david johnson um there is also a gentleman in here that i need to find out as much as i can but his name is jesse hall he's a scout and a you know handler of, of these field trial dogs and he shows up in a couple of pictures so i want to see if i can find something on him too but anyway guys the research is going well i hope you guys are enjoying the podcast the content and usually i'm way more consistent than what i've been but uh, just, you know, I'm doing a lot. <laughs> I'm doing a whole lot right now, but um, I hope you guys are continuing to enjoy the the content. I just kind of wanted to fall in and and check in with you and things like that. Let you know what I'm doing, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully about to start um, mentoring a, a, a young lady that's interested in getting in hunting and things like that as well. Um, and of course, I'll have that documented. Um, it'll probably be more Minority Outdoor Alliance related because that's kind of something that I wanted to make a part of that as well. Uh, so anyway, more details on that later. Um, with that being said, guys, you all are coming up on an episode with Jeff Ryder. Okay. He, uh, he's an awesome dude. I really, really appreciate chatting with him. Um, there was more conversation off the phone, but anyway, um, Mr. Jeff Ryder is the, the founder of Trinity Kennels, one of two, uh, you know, he, he works it with his son, uh, Josh, and they are officially our new sponsors. So, you know, if you if, if you need to, uh, you know, if you, if you need to get or or are interested in any more uh, French Britneys, what they call Epignol Breton. I don't know how to say that. But anyway, um, you can find them at TrinityKennels.org. All right. Um yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at Spanish, or not Spanish, French, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm terrible, terrible, terrible with French. So anyway, um, I'm actually not bad with Spanish. Um, I'm, I'm actually not bad at all. I probably understand it better than I can, I can hear it and listen to it and tell you what you said back, but it's a little harder for me to speak. But anyway, um, my daughter and son are going to end up being multilingual because my wife is fluent in Spanish. But anyway, guys, um, here is the episode. I don't want to get too off track. Here's the episode, guys. Um, this is the first of a few of them. I'm, I'm thinking two, but who knows? We may even keep going forward. Um, they're that good. But anyway, um, here's the first uh, episode with Jeff Ryder, and I want you guys to pay attention to them little, little, little small details. He does a lot of good things with George Hickox, and he's got a lot of good insight. So anyway, here's the episode with Jeff Ryder of Trinity Kennels. All right, guys, another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. All right, so this was the surprise that I was talking about um, earlier last week. We got Mr. Jeff Ryder from Trinity Kennels on and and Jeff, I was trying to kind of uh, introduce everybody to the idea of a new sponsor and you guys were so kind to start sponsoring the podcast next month. So I wanted to introduce you. I introduce you, man. How you doing? I am doing great. Thanks for <laughs> inviting us and uh, we're excited about this project. Well, you know, I'm excited because I've actually, this is a new endeavor for me for a couple of reasons. Um, I will say admittedly, I am, well, not even admittedly, like it's no secret. I am hugely pointer biased. Okay. Hugely pointer biased. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Chet and everybody else may have told you that if Josh didn't tell you already. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but I have always had a, an uh, adoration, if you want to call it like that for, Britney's, but even further down that way, and I'll tell you why. I, I was a, I'm a big Delmar Smith fan, and you know he was a Britney dude too. Yep. Um, yes. You know I I I was a big Britney fan, so of course 
that leads me to the smallest of the breeds, which is the French Britneys, which is what Trinity Kennel specializes in. But not even just that. You've got good dogs. You just had a major accomplishment of the National Elevage, which, first of all, I've never even heard about. So I want you to elaborate on on what that is. And we got some more details that are going to kind of branch off of there. So first and foremost, how you doing, man? <laughs> I am doing great. I am doing fantastic. So, all right. Yeah. Fill, um, fill me in. Fill, how, where, where do we start with the National Elevage? So every year, uh, our breed has the National Invitational Field Trial. So um, a lot of the people in the breed probably – we get probably 70% of them to come because we're spread out all over the United States. We're not a real big breed in the U S yet. And uh, we get together and we run the trials and we do confirmation, uh, and a specialty show, which is where you show dogs against each other. It's the show competition for confirmation. Mm -hmm. And then you go from there. Uh, we also do what is called a tan, which is a test of natural ability for the young dogs. And we do a water retrieve. And then there's the National Elevage. And um, what that is in France, which is where the Brittany, no matter French, American, whatever, they all originated from. In France, that's the highest award they can get is the National Elevage. Wow. And what that focus is on is kennels against each other. So it's not just a dog versus a dog versus a dog anymore. Now it's how is your kennel doing against the rest of the kennels that are competing in the elevage. So, and they it, look for, is it kind of like what we ahead. would, con, is it kind of like what we would consider over here futurity? Uh, no. Okay. No, so. I, um, boy, that's a whole nother, we talked about <laughs> rabbit holes earlier. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. We'll get okay. to that one later. All right. Um, <laughs> Cause I'm familiar with that, but no, it's, uh, it's actually where you take your dogs and what you're looking at for is consistency and excellency in the breeding program of the kennel. So you can bring three to five dogs into the ring. And these have to be dogs that compete as well. And the judge judges them based on the consistency dog to dog that you are presenting to them. Okay. All right. So are the dogs, first of all, you, you have to bring in a string of the same coloration. So they could be orange and white, black and white, tricolor, whatever you want out of your kennel, but you bring in the string, they have to look relatively the same. The patterning doesn't have to be the same, but all the same coloration. And then you're looking for, you know, confirmational excellence across the string as well. So what you're trying to do is be consistent. And that is one of my main mantras in what we're trying to do as a kennel and what we've tried to do for a long, long time is, are we consistently producing great dogs? Okay. So if you went into the elevage and you had a string of bad dogs, you're obviously not going to win. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? And so my focus has been, how do we consistently produce excellent dogs? Okay. All right. So rabbit hole number one. All right. Rabbit hole number one. We, we're not even, I, I, I'm, I'm not even going to get into what we were going to talk about yet because you just gave me an idea. All right. What, what okay. is your, what was your choice coloration uh, going in, you know, to, to this uh, particular competition? Um, the choice coloration that we selected was orange and white. And that's not my favorite color in the French Britneys. Everybody knows that. But we have consistently, out of some specific bloodlines, produced very excellent dogs of that coloration. 
Okay. And we laugh about it because we have a very specific program that we use to select the dogs that we keep. It's a 15 point evaluation where you evaluate different qualities in that puppy at eight weeks of age. And when we started that, we had no idea would that flush itself out to, you know, when the dog is two years old, is it still holding those qualities that we thought we saw in an eight week old puppy. Right. Um, and we've only done it for, I think this is our third year doing it now, but it has proven to be extremely effective. Okay. Okay. And now, to now, the point now that other people are talking about it when they're speaking about how do you produce excellence in dogs? Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's cool. So now how did you, how did you, I guess, determine what those points were like obviously that wasn't an overnight thing oh no it's years of experience in dogs i mean first you you look for basic conformational things you know is are is their head good is it the right shape conformation does the plane of the head is it parallel with the plane of the muzzle is the drop off from the plane to the muzzle in the plane it's supposed to be is the ear set right are the teeth right? Is the dog built right? You know, do the shoulders meet at the right point? Uh, when they're standing, are their legs appropriately under the dog as they should be to the confirmation of the breed? Okay. Um, you know, what's the tail set? What's, there's, you know, how are the eyes? How is the chest of the dog? Because a deeper running chest generally gives you more power in a dog. Um, so there's all these things that we've built over the years. And, and we also add in there, are they biddable? You know, what's their personality like? Are they good with people? Um, because it's very important to the French Brittany that they be great in the field, but they also be great in the home. That's right. kind of what they were bred for. Okay. All right. So now my last rabbit hole, and then we'll get to the, 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 the other, <laughs> the third rabbit hole that we were supposed to get to. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> all right. In, 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 in pointer setter history. All right. There, there were the dogs over in Europe that, that were kind of slow, lopey, so on and so forth. And when they got to America, we pretty much souped them up, right? Just like we normally do as a country. We, we normally bring them over here, soup them up and, and, and supercharge them. But really we, we had the dogs fit the type of terrain um, on American soil that we were hunting on. So uh, over time, the dog, the, the, the pointer, the American pointer changed, um, I would say fairly significantly from the English pointer, right? It was a shift away yeah. from um, their standard. Is it possible that over here, because of all of, you know, because of everything that you're doing over here, is it possible that because the French Brittany is such a new breed over here, is it possible that you guys would end up moving away from the French standard to fit the terrain of hunting over here? Yes, that's an excellent question. And <laughs> I, I'm going to give you a, it is because I'm going to give you a two part answer because to me, we really ought to look at Britney's as Britney's. Mm-hmm. But what happened with the American Britney when it first came over from France was exactly that. You know, um, I did not grow up in a hunting family, so I did not have a lot of dog knowledge. I got into it through, I always loved the outdoors, got into it through good friends. And I actually did own American Britneys at one time, um, but they went away from the standards. They're taller, they're lengthier, they're, um, 
they're more high, you know, like you said, they're more high powered. Right. I mean, I had a guy from Texas openly admit to me that when his dad first brought Brittany, the first thing they did was inbreed him with setters and pointers. <laughs> you know? at, least, at least he can and admit I it, said, though, because nobody wants no, to yeah, admit he that. Said, he, just, he, he wasn't hiding it. He just said, you know, that's, that's what happened. And that's how we put that much power in a dog because I got a dog from him, and that thing ran twice as big as any American Brittany that I'd seen in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I called him back and we had a discussion. So anyway, our goal as a French Brittany is to not get away from the French standard. In fact, what we use for judgment in confirmation, in show, in trials, and in the Elvage is the French standard. Okay. 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 All right. And we actually have French judges come over for our nationals. Oh. Oh, right. Yep. So is it, I mean, is it, uh, are, I mean, are they super critical? Are they... What kind of give me the uh, the uh, the summation of a personality of a French judge? Yeah, uh, first off, the French are very proud people, and so they will be critical of your dog. Uh, it's necessarily from their, your dog isn't as good as mine. As to we are the masters, you know, and you're like the apprentices over here in the U.S. <laughs> and so this is what you need to learn from me. Okay, and each judge carries their own idiosyncrasies as to what they're looking for. Right. Um, and, and we see that when they come, but yet you still gain knowledge from them. So one year, the guy may be all about confirmation, and that's all he cares about. And if that dog doesn't have even the right gait in the field, he might not give that dog as high a placement because it doesn't run as a French Brittany should run. So the next guy may simply be about, I want it to be confirmationally good, but I really want it to excel in the field. And so it's it, it not quite as good confirmation, but they do really well in the field, they score higher. Okay. Okay. All right. So we can always learn from them and they've been very generous in learning if you act like you're the student. Well, I think that's what it's about though. I mean, even even if they yep. weren't French, right? Like I don't I would never I've been to a few kennels, you know, in in the 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 four and a half years that I've been doing, you know, my bird dog thing, right? And the last thing any anybody wants is somebody that thinks they know more than what they really do. Even if you do know exactly. a lot, you know, my granddaddy says, even if you do know a lot, shut up, <laughs> like yep. just humble yourself. Seriously. Yep. Even the Bible says, you know, even a wise man can look like a fool if he talks too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and I think that's a, you know, I think that is something that through, um, you mentioned the Bible, bird dogs are very, are, are very spiritual, uh, art form for me. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I take it very seriously. Um, I mean, it's and 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 I'm glad that you brought up confirmation, um, and, and looking at those standards in addition to performance standards, because realistically yes. in truth, a lot of people like to move away from, um, from the confirmation conversation. That actually yeah. sounded pretty cool. The confirmation. Con- <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> A new phrase. I, I, I think we got the confirmation conversation. I'm, we gonna we gonna own that one. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, but one of my favorite, um, actually my all time favorite breeder is uh, Robert Whaley for pointers. Yep, and he was a big yep. proponent of com, uh, confirmation in addition to um, performance. You know, yeah. and 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 that's something that historically they used to be in in trials and things like that. Historically, 
they were one and the same, right? You had European dogs that would go, they would judge the dog on, again, the shoulders and the nose and things like that, and then go run the dog. That was historic. Yep. But over time, so much emphasis has been put on, you know, putting some go in the dog, you know, just go, 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 which is fine. But if you don't have good confirmation, then it's just like shocks in a car, right? Like if the shoulders aren't lined up, well, <laughs> that car going to break down after a while. Yes. You know, so yep. it's exactly the same. Yeah. And and it's really about it to me. You know, I like hearing that from you because it shows me that you take absolute pride in, in, in again, the art of bird dogs. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So going into that, we're, we're, we're talking about the art forms and stuff like that. And the, the 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 looking at bird dogs on a micro level we get to coefficient of inbreeding. Okay. And that's something yep. that I, I actually have a pedigree. Um, my dog's five generation pedigree with some, you know, COIs and things like that in it. But it's, it's, I think it's a, a very specialist thing to understand. So, so tell me about how you understand co coefficient of inbreeding and how you apply it to your dogs. Yeah. So the coefficient of inbreeding tells you, um, there, there's a couple pieces of it, but part of it will tell you, what proficient of what percent of inbreeding you have in a particular dog's pedigree. And they don't always make a hundred percent sense until you dig far enough back in a dog. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to grab our dog. Um, his actual name is Maxime Contessor. Okay. We call him Moose. Okay. <laughs> and he's got a co coefficient of inbreeding that's not very high. And that kind of surprised us because we knew we specifically bred to get some dogs in there. But if you go back, there are a significant number of dogs that have multiple appearances in his pedigree. So okay. um, many De La Source Alphardrie is in there twice. Finch is in there twice. Scotty St. Tujan is in there three times. Oker's in there four. So a lot of great dogs, but enough spread between those dogs that the coefficient isn't real high. Mm -hmm. And part of what we're dabbling with is what if you look back in the French some great dogs um, came from things that were fairly close inbreedings um, and I'll give you an example okay. this won't mean anything because people don't know the names of the dogs but there's a particular dog Sean de la Source Alphardrie whose mother and grandmother is the same dog Many De La Source Alphardrie. Oh. And Shun came out of that breeding as a great dog, okay. a fantastic dog. And then he, from his line continues to come great dogs. So if we go back and study the coefficient of inbreeding, and there's been a lot of studies done, and they don't all agree just like any study, mm -hmm. but what people have found is that so many times people are so afraid of that coefficient of inbreeding um, that they try to stay away from it, get as far from, get as low as possible. But what we see in some of the greatest dogs of all time, and the Elhu dogs were a good example of it that you mentioned earlier, yep. where they got some pretty close line breeding and all of a sudden pop, there it went and there goes a tremendous line coming out of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you see people trying to keep that coefficient as low as possible. You know, can we keep it even below one sometimes they say. Right. You know, and now I'm starting to hear in bird dog circles, well, maybe we need to get that back up to 10. Right. But if you look at Shun, he was 27.73. You know, really? he was really 
high in that coefficient of inbreed and it carried on. Now there's huh. risk in that. So if, if we ever bred a litter that had that, and we're planting some that had that kind of COI in it, we would say, okay, but we're keeping that litter at least to a certain age so we can make sure that what they're passing along is the traits that we want them to pass along, not a trait fault that comes out because you're breeding that closely. Right. Right. If that makes sense. Uh, no, so it makes, game, it, it makes I, perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, a lot of the studies I, I've read a lot about a guy who did a number of different studies on different breeds. And in the end, the last study I could find from him was that he thought around 25 was a good point to shoot for. Um, and he admits you may breed a litter, you know, that has two just of the most amazing dogs you've ever seen and three that aren't. Right. So, you know, you're dancing on the jagged edge and you need to probably pull back a little bit. Okay. You know, but you look at that and you start to say, okay, we're starting to see it come out. It's getting better. We're doing more. And, uh, actually to get, help us get to that program, we are working with another kennel here in the U S right now to purchase uh, a dog that, you know, by grace alone, did we find him? He's in a kennel sitting in, in uh, France and he's a brother to, um, uh, he's a brother out of shun of the dog named Beth, who is one of the great dogs over there following shun. And, uh, you know, he's seven years old now. So he's a little old for what most people would consider importing, but he's the only one we can find of that bloodline. Right. And he carries that higher coefficient to turn that back into our line to try to help, you know, fill out that belief that has been studied that if you get that coefficient up a bit, you may actually end up with a lot better breeding program in your kennel. Okay. Now, would you, would now, you have been as adamant about him if he was a female? You see what I'm saying? Um, because of because of the age alone. Yeah, probably not because of the age. That's what I was just going to say. Okay. Um, you know, but what we're looking for is something that can help us bring that up here in the U.S. And, and I'll be honest, here in the U.S., too many times I see, you know, one of two things. Either it's only one dog and they forget that at some point you need to outcross or else you get too hot or too high of a number in your coefficient of inbreeding. Mm-hmm. Or they go the other way that says, I want no line breeding and you get chicken soup, you know? Right. And it, it, it's like I've said before, you know, or vegetable soup may be a better example. You don't know what's coming out of the soup. You just know there's going to be vegetables. In it. <laughs> right. But you breed them together because I like potatoes and I like carrots. So I'm going to throw them in with a bunch of other stuff and, and see what happens. And you end up with something you go, boy, that was terrible. <laughs> you know, um, one of the most respected trainers in the country right now in EBs, you know, I think uh, is doing a little bit of that to that same point where it's like, can't figure out why we can't get there, but you can't keep throwing stuff in there just to try to make sure you're not having a high COI and hoping to come out with something great. It's proving itself out in that those breedings that are happening today. Right. Right. I, um, I, you, you, you actually made me go back in and look at my own dog's pedigree and look at the COIs there. Um, I think the highest that I'm looking at now, I've got 13.07, 3.75. So my 13.07 is, is L, uh, champion L. Hugh Fibber McGee shows up a lot. Yep. 
um, Rocky, well known dog, very well known dog, right? And and I think it makes sense again to your point. We like this. Let's put it back in, space it out a little bit, and you know, and 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 rock off of that. Um, everything after that, I mean, it's uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I got champion rock kicker buckwheat with 3.75. I got L Hugh distinction with 11.66 L Hugh discovery uh, 7.21. Yeah. So, I mean, aside from Fibber McGee, I mean, it it's literally pretty low. I mean, everything else is pretty much below 10. Um, yeah. And what I, what I would love to do with you sometime is go back and look in the, you know, farther back, when Bob was still doing his thing and see what they were back then. You know what? I if think you understand it's what I'm saying. absolutely. So I, we, I need to introduce you to a guy and I, I, I really want him on the podcast too. I, I, uh, he's actually the one that sent me this pedigree. Cause this isn't, you know, field dog sub book. ain't going to give you that. Um, nope. but he, he sent me this particular pedigree. Um, and he has a system of some sort that basically does all the research for him. Um, so yes. I would like to introduce you to a guy named Jan uh, Shaw and we can do that because he has access to all of those files. Um, yes. and, and I think it would be interesting to go back and see, you know, how tight, you know, he was, I mean, we knew Bob was doing some tight work, but it'd be interesting based off this line to see kind of what all, what all was in there. Um, because that, that's literally all would, the detail I've got. Yeah. And I would bet, money that bob was doing some things um and and by the way delma smith was the first one to get me interested in Brittany's. i have actually oh, have a signed copy of his book you know you know that um, was coming i got his signed copy right here next to me you know that was that was the next question but <laughs> well, anyway yeah so part of what you do when you're doing that though is you look for other greatness to bring into your line for mm-hmm. the outcross if you understand what i'm saying yep you don't just say, oh, I need an outcross. Let's grab Joe's dog. He did pretty good last week. Right. Okay, that, that doesn't mean anything. So one of the dogs, and we haven't trialed him yet. We're going to start this fall. He's two years old. We got him from France. But he's out of the line um, that is known as Duke, Duke Grand Capricorn now in France. And his father was the dog of the world in 2017 in French Britney's jet new grand Capricorn. Really? And he comes out of Jajaz, who was a champion and Oscar, who was a champion and likes who was a champion, you know? And so you go back down that line. Great, great, great. They keep producing it. Mm-hmm. And now some of his sons are performing to high levels in France. And so we look for something else that was kind of the same, but a whole different line. And that's what we're bringing in to cross it out. Okay. And then we also saved a couple of our old bloodlines from the past 30 years and said, you know what? That's an interesting line because standing by itself, it doesn't produce greatness. But when we mix it with other things that are great lines, it seems to up the game. Right. Okay. And so we've always kept a couple of those around as well, but we're always striving for that. How do we get it good and make it better? You know, and honestly, the last five years has really amped me back up into that. I was in that years ago, and, you know, when my son Josh, who does the kennel with me, really got engaged in the kennel and started talking to me about, well, but Dad, when you had these dogs, what did you do? And, and why did you do that? And what were you looking for? And what were you trying to do? 
And that kind of reamps the spirit of, hey, we got to get back to that and really start pushing what is going to be the Trinity line okay. and how do you follow it through and how do we make greatness in that line? Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, so, I mean, so basically for a while you're, you're, you were working dogs, but that, that wasn't necessarily as far as the, the, that, that title line breeding, that wasn't always the focus, what you're saying. No. And we, like I said, we started there and then kind of went to, okay, we know we've got good lines. We didn't follow all the details as closely, but we knew we had good lines. Right. And then we started getting into the conversation about why did we do that originally? And kind of went back to, yeah, you know, that's what got us all these lines. Why did we stop doing that? Let's get back to it. Okay. Okay. And that's really renewed the passion. And we're really excited about the programs we have going forward. Well, it, it, you guys are always learning. And that goes back to what we were saying. Now. I mean, just yes. being able to humble yourself, learn, you know, find the pieces of the wheel that aren't broken and, and never did break and, and put that back in. Um, and you're always, you know, getting better and things like that. Now, since we mentioned Delmar now, again, I'm, I'm a huge Delmar fan. I have, um, I've, I've resorted to that same book. Um, and I actually paired it with the Ronnie, the Ronnie Smith, uh, book that just came out. I think they complement each other very well. They're the same method. Um, yeah, but talk about Delmar. Like how, how did, did, did you meet him? Like what, what inspired you to get into, uh, Britney's because of him? Yes. Well, it was at an interesting crossroads in my very young career. I was, uh, like I said, I grew up in a non-hunting family, so in town. So having a bird dog was kind of out of the question. Uh, hunted with friends. Um, and actually, one of our teachers in high school raised Britney's. And <clears throat> so we always kind of kept an eye on that. And I had just come off uh, an interesting experience with um, a GSP. I had the opportunity through a friend to buy a young pup and brought her up for her first year and won the national futurity with her. Oh. But that dog, as much as she was a bird machine, she was had no personality. In other words, she hunted for her. You know, if you could hunt with her, and bless your soul if you ever tried to foot hunt with her, um, <laughs> you know, she had more go than you knew what to do. But, you know, after she was done, all she, all she knew was kennel and hunt. You know, she it was like, the whole personable going to go sit on my lap by the fire thing was not there. Mm-hmm. And so I got an offer after she won the national futurity and I sold her. And a lot of people thought it was crazy, but I was just like, you know, I'm a foot hunter from Iowa. That dog does not fit that description, nor will it fit the description of, I want a dog that's my hunting dog, but he's also the family pet. Right. And so I stepped back and a friend of mine said, Hey, does a Delmer Smith, uh, seminar going on over here. Would you like to go? And I went, and that's kind of where I got introduced to Delmer. Okay. And yeah, you know, right away, I, I, I liked the Brittany smaller dog, more affectionate. His Brittany still had a lot of go in him, but you know, it was like, Hey, this feels like a step in the right direction mm-hmm. and really followed and studied Delmer for a long time. Um, and still consider him, you know, one of the early mentors in my career. That's really cool. I, um, I, one of these days, cause he's like up there in age. One of these days I need to get out to, uh, was that big cabin, Oklahoma? Um, 
I yep. need I need to get out there and and meet him, shake his hand. I mean, because what he's done, um, literally going back to Coyotes. I mean, we not even talking about you know pointers and and Britneys. Being able to turn a coyote into a bird dog, I think that really speaks yep. volumes um, to harnessing the natural, like the, the 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 actual, real, raw natural ability of a truly wild animal. Um, yeah, I am always of the mind that for a bird dog, like I would like them to be personable. Yes, but if I can get them to hunt as wild as possible. And, and, and because dogs are so man-made now, they're so manipulated. It's actually a challenge to, to get that kind of dog. But once you find that type of, you know, DNA, once you find it, or once you can get them to respond to you, you know, in that way in the field, I mean, I think we might strike gold right there. And what Delmar was able to do was recognize that, okay, I can take this creature that really doesn't want, doesn't literally doesn't want anything to do with me and make it work with me. I mean, how many people can we say are doing that nowadays? Yeah. And, yeah. um, and that's one thing that committed me for, for this next pup. I got a, a I'm, I'm, I'm planning on having a setter come, um, in the spring and for this next pup, I'm actually committing myself to using the, the, the actual Smith method, um, at, you know, by yeah. the book, I'm pretty much a mutt when it comes to training stuff. Like I kind of take a piece here, take a piece there. And, and I've, and I've done really well with my dogs, but I think it, if we're going back to the idea of simplicity, right? Like I'm going to go down that rabbit hole for a second. I'm trying to figure out the, the one training technique that I can use that takes the least amount of stuff and I can get the, the, the most results out of in Delmar's ways. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, being able to articulate or, or to communicate with the dog and, and, and have it, respond to you in ways and it just work. Um, so that's something that I've just really, really, really been, uh, kind of rereading through the book. I found the one signed copy that I could on like eBay. I actually bought the book twice. <laughs> Cause I, there you go. I, I wrote up all, I wrote all in the first version. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to just take, throw this one in my bag and take it with me to the field. But the other one, I keep it on my desk and it looks real pretty and pristine. And it's got a signature and stuff like that in it. Um, but I just, I think there are leaders in the game um, that have set the bar. And I wonder where we're going with bird dogs, you know, as we move through 2020 and 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 into 2021 and the decades that will follow, what are we really doing yeah. with bird dogs? Are we manipulating them too much? You know. Yes. Um, yes, I I I would be of the opinion that we are, and I'm going to speak to our own breed. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I see people continually trying to do is they've got a year old dog, and they want that thing to perform in trials to the highest level you know, and in the ring to the highest level and just be this top-notch dog at a year old. And it's been driving me crazy for a number of years. And um, one of Josh's good friends, they grew up together. Uh, he has gotten into French Britney as well. They, the two of them would ask me, well, why does that drive you so crazy? And I said, you know, 
I never heard guys like Delmer Smith say to me, you got to have that bird dog at its pinnacle at a year old. Right. You know, even the guy that trained my GSP, who was a very good GSP trainer, you know, was not of that mind that it's a great thing to bring that dog up and try to have it hit its pinnacle at one. The great dogs didn't hit their pinnacle then. Nope. You know, they were dogs that were brought along and you kept working with them and you kept that, uh, like you called it wildness, I call it just that natural side of them in that dog and yet tried to mold them into what you wanted to be at the same time. And that's very hard to do in a short period of time. Right. And some young dogs, uh, my dog Czar, he's a gun champion going for his trailer now. Um, everybody loves this dog. He's got a fantastic personality. But the first year, he just drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. He was just a big clown, <laughs> you know. And he'd do yep. it in training, and then you'd get out to a trial, and he just wouldn't do it. And it'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? So you go back and read the book again, like you said, and try to figure it out. and Go do some more training. And, and all of a sudden, one day, the light bulb went off. And he won at three trials in a row and became a gun champion. And everybody was like, holy cow, what'd you do with that dog? Well, I think I almost screwed him up because I was so of the bent of trying to get him there because I saw the natural ability that I was forgetting. Hey, let him be him. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to work with the dog. And Delmo was one of those guys. And, you know, George Hickok is another one where when I watch them with dogs, they have patience. And they know how to work with a dog and they know how to read a young dog, you know, and not saying that a young dog will always turn out to be what you think he is when he's young, but they don't break that out of them, try to get them to someplace they really don't want to be. And then I've seen a grand champion that cowers at his owner's feet. Well, that's, that's to me, not a dog. That's a a machine, a very highly manipulated dog that's become a machine. So it will do what the owner tells it to do, but not with spirit. Right. Right. And and what's the point of even having, you know, if we're, if, if we're talking about athlete, what's the point of having an athlete if he's not enthusiastic about, you know, about the championship? Right. Like exactly. once, once it's all over. All right. It's time to go home. And I, uh, don't please don't touch me like that's that's not what yep. we look for, you know. Exactly. You know, and I uh, I'm, I'm I'm actually glad that you brought that up. Um on a personal, you know, personal experience as we get to know each other more and more. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to get a dog. My pointer now he broke, I mean, to wing shot and fall at 11 months old. And it wasn't me putting a whole lot of pressure on him. He just, I, I, matter of fact, I was out, um, like filming a little piece of a, 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 my, a buddy of mine has a TV show and he wanted to kind of film my dog. And I was practicing and stuff like that and just kind of train him. And, uh, it, it hit me one day we were out and I put a pigeon out and, uh, you know, of course everything normal dog goes on point. I walk up, flush the pigeon up and uh thing flies away and I shoot my blank pistol and the dog just looks at me. He just sits there stacked up. And, and I was like, and I had never seen that before out of my dog. And I was like, huh, all right, well, I, I guess you're ready to do this, <laughs> you know, yes. but it, that yep. wasn't something that we pursued up until that point. You, you know, it was me listening to the dog and saying, okay, so I guess you kind of get that, that, just stay here, just hang out. 
you know, and, and so now what I, what I did do though, cause I went ahead and, 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 and like solidified that in him. And so now he knows don't move. We were guiding. I had guide clients that were like, so is the dog going to move? I'm like, Nope. Mm-mm. You know, just keep them there. But because of that, because he's still, you know, he's 17, 18 months right now, this whole summer, I've yeah. actually not done a whole lot of training with him just because he's still a puppy. And, mm-hmm. and and so it's kind of like, all right, I got this really great accomplishment, but we need to lay off some, you know, but it, you, you mess around and keep pushing that. You wash them out under two years old. Well, that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, exactly. You know, it, it's so I just I, I want to. All for any of my dogs, you know, I always want to be mindful of. Number one, that's not that's not a normal thing that a dog will just sit there and, and, and you know, perform like that on its own accord. That's not normal. Number one. But number two, be mindful of the dogs. Hey, Delmar actually says in that book, give the dog his first year. Yep. You know, and, and that's what we all need to be doing. So, you know, but but going back to you, because this ain't about my dogs. Um, What? When you started, I would really like to know what a day in a life looked like then, 30 years ago, and and what does it look like now? And I guess how did how have your dogs grown to fit your vision? Because it sounds like you've had a lot of conversations with Josh, your son, and and saying, okay, this is what we're actually looking for. So what how did that change over 30 years? Well, in the beginning, French Britneys were really rare in the U.S. Um, and when I got my first three, uh, interesting story, I bought a, I wanted a brace, a male and a female, because I knew at some point I wanted to have puppies out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the third one because he was the runt of his brother's litter, and the litter had 15, and nobody wanted the runt. So I got the runt for free. Um, but those three dogs were the only three I could get at that point in time. So I took them, and you worked with them, and they had a lot of really good qualities still love those original three to this day. But I also saw things in them that I was like, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know enough about this breed yet, but as I read more about it, study more about it, I think, you know, we can improve on this or that. And so when I would bring another dog in already then, it wouldn't just be, hey, I need another dog. I would want a dog that would complement that. Um, and a day in that life of those early years is really, I was a bird hunter. Right. So I was training my dogs. Um, you know, like you said, by the Delmer Smith method and how do I get them to be great bird dogs? Um, one of them did like yours did very early on, started stopping to flush and I could release them. And I was just amazed, you know, um, the other two really never did that, but I really didn't care because they would, you know, they would hold point and go on the flush. Um, but did a lot of training, did a lot of hunting. You know, that was my, my game at that point was, I was a hunter first and I found a breed that I really loved and we really worked at that hunting game. Um, over the years, you know, now, um, it's much more purposeful. I would say, you know, we start training our, our pups at eight weeks to really be, uh, on the, on a program of training that we use. Um, we use a few outside methods if we're really stuck somewhere and we think the dog's got a lot more potential, but it's that daily consistent training, it's the working with the dogs at the same time. Now 
Um, I spend a lot of time with our dogs when we breed. So a lot of times with, you know, how are the puppies? What's their growth rate? You know, how do they stack up when they're eight weeks old? Now I'm even looking at them when they're four weeks old. I'm trying to get them to stand still for me on a board and say, how do they stack up? Hmm. Ooh, I really like that one. And that one's out of these two dogs. And out of that litter, six of the eight really stack up really nicely like that. And you can see that at four weeks? Uh, I'm starting to, just now, starting to look at that at four weeks to see if we can take our criteria list and can I see those traits? How young can I really start to see them? Okay. So just today, I stacked a litter of four-week-old pups. Um, I've got a friend who wants the best male out of that litter. And I'm really trying to use our criteria now. And so just today, I was like, okay, how does that work? And I was like, how be dang? I can see a lot of those traits already now, you know. And it'll be curious to see before they go home at eight weeks, do those traits continue in those pups? Do they continue that same line of development? And then following them past that. So we um, have customers. You know, we have customers. We have some customers that have been with us from the beginning. I've got uh, customers getting their fifth and sixth dog from us now, you know, over the generations. And, you know, um, some of them we place a dog with on purpose. We're like, hey, we got this breeding we're really excited about. We picked out this puppy. You know, we're going to place them with you. This is what we want you to do with them. And we have high expectations. And that excites them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it gives us just a broader spectrum of testing now to look at that dog as it grows up and say, oh, yeah, that, that is what we thought it was. That's exactly what we want to do. So we know that that breeding gives us that next step we're looking for in our line. Right. And, uh, you know, we do that with people that are close here around me in central Iowa. We do that with people now out where Josh lives in Pennsylvania. So, you know, we're placing those dogs and Josh works with those guys. And I work with folks locally here to just continue to evaluate that, you know, to try to continue to produce what we want going forward. Right. Right. Now, have you, have you seen that, um, you know, out of any of your dogs, in particular, your older dogs now, and I'm I'm really thinking about Moose because he's out with George Hickox now, right? Yep. Okay. Have yep. you have you seen we that see out that. of him? Yes. Um, in fact, and we were talking about coefficient of inbreeding, and that conversation really comes from the from a you know Delmer Smith and guys like that back in the day talking about prepotency. Mm-hmm. So what they were looking for a lot of times, especially in males, but you can look for the same thing in females is. When I breed them, they're throwing puppies that are at least as good as themselves, and what we're looking for is better. So I want puppies coming out of this dog that are better than what they are. Right. And with Moose, I'm not kidding you, we can mix that dog with about anything. In fact, every time we've done it, he's been bred so far, those puppies are better. In my mind, you know, structurally, they have this bird drive. You know, they have the intensity that we want. The bone structure is better than even what we have in moose. And you know how much Josh and I like moose. Right. But one of the reasons I really love him is when I breed him to something else, I know I'm going to get like the next generation up. Nice. And so, <clears throat> you know, he accidentally bred one of our old females one time. And we were like, oh, boy, that was not planned. <laughs> um, she hadn't been in heat in a couple of years, and he, he happened. We got back from a national trial, and, you know, we hadn't been out of the truck 
two minutes and ultimately hear this yelp and we were like oh no what did you get into you know <laughs> he, and he figured he was coming in for a win he had to get a little victory uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he did a victory lap with our, our female who had become our yard dog because she was retired and uh however i can tell you the puppies out of that litter were amazing um one of them we use in our breeding program today you know and so we're just like wow Wow. He can do that with that dog, which was for us, you know, two cycle generations back. What can he do if we put him with stuff that really is another great dog today and excel that forward? And we continue to see that progression. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I believe with all my heart that Moose is one of the great dogs of this generation. That's cool. Um, okay. He, he does really well in trials. But he is definitely carrying a line that has COI in it and high prepotency, but he's definitely carrying it forward. Okay. Okay. I, I would love to um to see him, man. I, I I would like to get out that way. Now, how is he what what is George Hickok saying about how's he doing out there? Because he's doing some horseback work too, right? Yes. He's uh he's working loose as as George would. Um and George is one of those dog whisperers. Del, Delmer's another one where they get with a dog and there's just like some, it's like you said, you know, it's almost a spiritual connection where that dog connects and can understand what George is trying to give them for instruction and go do it. Yeah. Um, and George has been keeping us updated. George is really excited because this is his first dog kind of out of that pointer realm, not somehow in George's program. Um, you know, and so it's a first for both of us, but we really like George and, uh, he was excited to try it. I think he's having a ball with Moose. And I think, you know, according to him, he said, Oh, this dog is great. He's so biddable. He's moving forward you know, rapidly. And, uh, we're really excited about that. That's the opportunity we were looking for for Moose. Okay. Okay. Now, how did you, did I actually, how did you get to know George? Um, that's right. I knew of George for a long time, but he was kind of always the, you know, the godfather of pointer training. And, um, and he, you know, he was putting on a seminar with some other, uh, French Brittany owners and a club, uh, out in Illinois. Okay. And, um, we knew that, but I was like, okay, is that applicable to EVs? Might be, you know, how does that fit in? And we got a chance for one of us to go. So I sent Josh. And Josh came back and said, oh, Dad, this guy's great with dogs. The system works great. He got dogs to do things they never did before, just at the clinic. You know, he said, uh, I really think we ought to look in bringing him to Iowa for a clinic. So a year later, we did that. And George ended up staying at our house, which I will cherish those days and hours forever. They, uh, it's like we've been talking. you got to be able to learn forever. And I felt like George could just teach so much even to a guy who had been doing it for almost 30 years oh yeah you know that hey when your dog's in this situation just try this you know and we'd try it and it'd work and we'd be like oh my goodness and one of the dogs that showed up for our clinic was a dog that was a really nice dog in the house but scared of its own shadow in the field and i took george's methods after that clinic and i've worked with that owner and that dog has come light years he is a true dog in the field, and I believe after this summer, if the owner wanted to, he could even, you know, run him in some French Brittany trials and be successful. Really? But it's using the methodology and trying to have George's patience with the dog to just keep working 
and keep working, you know, and you see the light turn on mm-hmm. and then you see the next light turn on. But yeah, I, I got the opportunity to spend a couple of days out with George in North Dakota when I brought Moose and watch him work dogs. And that guy truly is a dog whisperer. I tell you what, it is amazing what he can do in dog training. And I, I don't know if George will ever open up his doors to being an across the board trainer because he's so busy the way it is. But if people can get to a clinic of his, uh, you know, it's amazing what you can learn in a few days from a guy who's dedicated his life to how do I train bird dogs. Right. Um, right. And let me give you an example. We were out yeah, in the field. Cool. He wanted to show me some of his young pointers. And we were out in the field. He took the first two out and he said, okay, these will be, uh, derby dogs this year, they're, they're good field trial prospects, let's go. So we're up on horses, release the dogs, and away they go. And these dogs are out there between seven and 800 yards, okay? Mm-hmm. And we know that because George has a GPS collar on them. That way you can always watch where they go, the young dogs. If they drop out of sight, you know where they're at. And I was amazed. He rarely, if ever, made a sound to those dogs. And if it was anything, it would just be he uses the yip and just to kind of let the dog know something's happening so that dog can look and respond. Right. And we covered the field with those dogs. And when we were done, he called their name and the dogs came back in and we were done. And he was like, he looked at me and he said, that's what you want your dog to do. He said, you want your dog to go out there and be that dog and do it in a great fashion but not have to constantly be coaching the dog and blowing a whistle or using a voice command, whichever your field trial venue allows to try to direct that dog all the time. Mm -hmm. Let that dog be that dog and it will show you greatness. And in a reality way too, we were talking about it that night over supper. If that dog is constantly being directed by you, what is the judge thinking? Right. And he's thinking, wow, it's a pretty nice dog, but it actually takes an awful lot of instruction to get him to do what he does. Right. I, I you was know, say, you're, you're, the dog isn't, you're, the judge isn't judging the dog at that point. The judge is literally judging the judging handler. The handler. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And when you watch, you know, the next two dogs out with two dogs that George said they won't make field trial dogs, they'll be great plantation dogs. Didn't run as big, but still the same type of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, did, went where they, went where we went with the horses, followed, you know, but did their own pattern out there, did their own thing. And when we were done, came back into a voice command and it was like, wow. Right. You know, it's amazing to watch when somebody is as good as George is the outcome of those dogs after one year, you know, and we did a lot of drills with dogs as well. We did pointing drills. We did other, but you know, all of that stuff was around the underlying program that George starts with those dogs at eight weeks, you know, and trains them to respond but without having to give every command and without having to do instruction, just letting them understand what the game is and letting them do their thing. Right. And just doing that. I mean, that that's the name of the game, man. I mean, you, you, you hear a lot of trainers that get out there and, and down here. Oh man, I, I would love for you to come down here to um, the, well, we call it the black handlers trial, but it's the Georgia, Florida shooting dog handlers association uh, field yep. trial. And, you hear you you can tell the guys that are spending a lot of time with their dogs and they know they're because they're doing exactly what you're saying they are they're they're 
they're they're quiet unless they unless they need to turn a dog right like you holler you yep. turn them you move on about your way then your other guys hip whoop whoop dip 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 you know doing all of this and, and it doesn't take all of that you know um and I honestly think it get, it probably either confuses or annoys the dog I, maybe I'm putting too much personality to it, but it that can't be I think you're right with both the dog and the judge yeah. I think it does it to both of them <laughs> you know they're yeah. both like what what are we doing? What are we doing here? So are, are you are you running with Moose? Are you running him? If he's going to be doing American Field or, or anything of the sort, is he running like an all-age dog or is he running like a shooting dog? How, how What is he doing? Okay, so in the French Britneys or Epagno Bretons, whichever one, that's the French way to say it, mm-hmm. um, we run early on, there's the test. So there's a test of natural ability there's the water retrieve test and that's when they're really young just to say hey do they have do they have what we think it takes in the dog and then you go from there to a gun dog class um which is steady to flush they do get better points if they're steady to wing a shot but it's only required steady to flush um how they handle the birds have to retrieve the hand uh so on and so forth and then the next level up from that is called the open class and that's uh, still not on horseback, but it's more like, you know, the big classes in the pointing dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and now a few handlers have taken dog, some of the EBs and performed fairly well in AKC trials, uh, such as you are speaking of. Um, but, you know, we haven't gone there with Moose yet, but there are several pros that have approached us and said we think he has what it takes. Nice. Um, my only reservation with that is, they're really bred to be foot hunting dogs. Right. So we don't want to push that envelope just to say we can do it. You know, right. on the flip side, if you have a dog that's that special, you hold them back. Right. Right. That's good. That, that there is the point of contention. Um, yep. You know, because it's like, because, our, go ahead. No, out of all of our dogs in our kennel, Moose is probably the only one today that has that capability. Mm-hmm you know, to go do that at that level. Now we've got some young ones that are showing that same thing, um, which is again, exciting us about our, our breed and, and our breeding program. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they aren't, every dog will not do that in our breed. And part of that is, you know, the old adage that goes with the French Brittany is you want, you know, angels in the home and demons in the field. <laughs> and they, they do truly have a light switch. Right. You know, you can hunt with them. I, I mean, literally, and uh, my wife, bless her soul, is allergic to dogs. So we don't keep them in the house all the time. But when the kids come home, they end up in the house because they all have the dogs that both their hunting dog and their pet. Mm-hmm. But we can hunt all day. And then you go in the house at night and you're watching a football game or whatever. And the dog's laying there in front of the TV sound asleep, you know, or on your lap sleeping. Mm -hmm. And they're just very, so we don't want to lose that intentional switch in those dogs. Mm -hmm. So we're watching it very closely, but we really like the intensity and the driving moose because even when we're hunting, you know, he's a favorite to hunt behind because he is just, he's just got it to that next level that you don't see every day in an EB. Right. Right now, um, speaking of, it, it's so funny that you, you brought up your wife. I we were about the uh, conversation the other day. I think we can we can use your dogs, man, to 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 go out more, uh, hunting more often. You told me that your uh, 
your wife is a little more forgiving because it, your dogs make sure the kids come home. <laughs> they, That's right. They come to visit right. a little more often. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, it was early on, you know, a, a habit of mine that may have been frowned upon at times now is the uh, most requested activities <laughs> are around hunting because the kids come home for it, you know, no matter mm-hmm. where they are, no matter what it is, opening day brings the family, right? you know, and, and, you know, I mean, this year, Josh brought a group of folks from Pennsylvania out right after Christmas, and they hunted, I think it was December 27, 28, 29, and January 1, here in Iowa. So we brought a whole crew in, you know, but it's fun. The house is full. Uh, the kids are there. We have a good time. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it truly it can be a family thing where long-term, it brings a family closer. Okay. I like that. I like that. Well, I, uh, I'm going to, when, when I publish this, I'm going to make sure that at a minute, what, what how, we are 58 minutes in consider an intro. So it's going to be a little bit over an hour where we are. I'm going to make sure my wife tunes in on that specific piece that you just said. <laughs> okay. So yes. I'm going to roll it out there and see, you know, <laughs> And see how it goes. Yep. Um, no, yeah, well, and, and it's true. A lot of the time, people don't understand. It's like I told you. I mean, my oldest boys were nine, six, and three, and they were bird hunting with me every day that I went, and yeah. that was just part of our deal. But now, you know, it's it's become a big blessing for the family because we all want to get together and do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. I uh, I, I like that, and and. Mine's is very supportive. Um, we we got uh, we got a, a one year old. She'll be one on the twenty second of this month, and then uh, we've got my son who's supposed to be here in October. So I'm really hoping that. Excellent. I thank you. Um, I'm really hoping that, like you, this does be- become a family pursuit. Um, I would like yes. for it to be. Um, you know, because why not? Like, that's the best part of it. I, I started introducing my daughter. Um, she's about six, six months old, maybe so. And I started introducing her to my dogs and she actually really took to it, you know. And, and so I'm kind of like, all right, great. Like, maybe. <laughs> and this is before we, we realized that, like, uh, if I do the math, maybe it wasn't. But, like, this was really before we were like, oh, OK, we're about to expand on, on our family. Um, I just think that hunting and stuff like that can be such a larger venture, you know, and, and, and we do, um, have family operated business. Talk about the Smiths, right? Like their whole family is involved in it. And, and, and I think that's something very, very special. And, and to elaborate on that, you know, you and Josh, your son, y'all are a team, you know, and I would, I would really like to know how you guys work together. Like, what are the, how, how do you guys push and pull each other? <laughs> sure. Well, Josh started <laughs> helping me with the dogs. Um, we got our first EBs when he was two and a half. So he's, and he was always one that wanted to help. So he would be out helping me chore and be watching training. And, you know, then as he got older into the hunting and so on and so forth. Um, and then he went, uh, he's a, a pastor by trade. He went on, did some mission work in other countries and so on, got a little bit away mm. from it, came back and kind of jumped back in with more passion even than he had had before. Can I stop you and, right? Um, can I stop you right there real quick? 
I just sure. want to say, Josh really surprised me. He told me he was a pastor. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that, you know, whatever. Then he said he met his wife in Jamaica. That right there was cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I just wanted my to put love, that out my, there. <laughs> my lovely daughter-in-law, Candace, uh, is in Jamaica right now with her family, and it's her birthday today. So oh, well, happy birthday. today, but hey, yeah, happy birthday to Candace is... Uh, She's down in Jamaica with her family right now. But yeah, he, uh, so anyway, now as we've grown into a team, you know, Josh is really good relationally, which goes well with being a pastor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does a lot of the talking to customers, um, been very good on the marketing side for us. Um, but also he's extremely intelligent. So he's picked up on these things I've done over the years and almost driven them to the next degree, you know? So like, dad, why did you like that, that line? What did you see? And then he'll take that back through the pedigrees and, you know, okay. And I see this and I see that. And then we'll talk through that. And so one of my favorite parts uh, that we do together is walking through all that saying, where does this lead us in the future? Um, and, And I will admit on the podcast, just in case he tells you this anyway, uh, that, you know, he is, really right on with this breed. Really? Now, if I had to go to somebody in this breed and say to them, and I didn't, I didn't know, you know, I said, Hey, I've got X, Y, Z dog. What should I breed it to? He would be the guy that I would go to. And he's, he's not that old yet, you know, Yeah. but he has packed so much knowledge into his head over his lifetime that he really does understand it and get what you're trying to do. If you're trying to improve your stock, and, you know, if my dog doesn't do this well, or it's great in the house, but doesn't have enough field drive, or confirmationally it's got this fault, I want to correct it in the breeding, he can walk through a litany of dogs just out of his head and say, well, I think this line would mix good with that, and it will correct this, this, and this. And, you know, and it is so much fun to work as a team in that way. Nice. Um, and I'm a businessman, so I'm very driven at times. I can be like, okay, that didn't work. What's next? <laughs> and we, you know, he'll be to me, which is kind of a rule reversal normally in the father son thing. Hey, just slow down. Let's evaluate what we really think happened there. And, and, you know, do we want to try it again? Do we want to do something totally different? Do we, you know, let's, let's go through the process. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was the one that first popped into my head, the idea of how are we really picking puppies? You know, because for years, and the French will do this. French will pick puppies at two days old because you got to trust the breeding, they say. Wow. Which I agree with in large part, but if you start defining the qualities and the attributes that you want in a dog, you can really start to look at that, like we talked earlier, at a very young age. And he prompted me to start working on what's that list of things we want in a dog. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're to the point where we've got those things, they're all weighted by importance based on where our program is right now. So everything is a weighted factor and it comes out to a score. And so you asked about orange and white earlier. My favorite color in a French Brittany is a black tricolor. And we had that opportunity in the last several picks, but they were not the dogs that won by score. So we ended up with orange and white the last several times again. And it's become a joke between us. Hmm. I wonder if there's anything to what we're seeing. You know, is there something scientific that says this mm-hmm. that we could find out by a study? You know, so it's it's fun doing that. Yeah. But uh, and then we were we really just work well together. I mean, it's uh, 
I try not to treat him like a son in the old fashioned sense of the word, you know, try to treat him like a partner. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he tries to do the same. And yet at sometimes try, I feel like he's trying to show me respect because I've been doing this as long as I've been doing it. And which in reality he has too. It's just, he started when he was two and a half or two three. And a half, right. Right. And I, and I think there's weight to that. I mean, you know, we are, I'm, I'm going to deviate a little bit, but like my wife, is doing a phenomenal job of, of teaching my daughter to read. And my daughter's literally a year old in a few, like on the 22nd of this month and being able to start someone at a very, very, very young age. And all it is, is identifying, you know, shapes and sounds and things like that. And, and that child connects them, right? The, the children are brilliant, you know, yeah. and, what you've done is with Josh is the same thing my wife is doing with 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 my daughter and these little sight cards and stuff like that. It's having them around it, exposure, just like everything else, right? And being able yep. to identify, like I would I would like to know what what neurological pathways were getting fired off when you had him around those dogs at such a young age, right? Like we're getting into, like I said, looking at yeah. it at a micro level, what neurological pathways were firing off and what was he seeing and being able to identify at that young of an age, right? Because yeah. by the time we get to adulthood, right? Like we, 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 we've either read a whole bunch or seen a whole bunch and, 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 and assume that we know a whole bunch about these dogs and it's less intuitive, you know, when, when yeah. going going back to Delmar again, Delmar was working with coyotes at an extremely young age, so it's more intuitive and 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 less learned. You know, it's it's yeah. it's much less mechanical. So that's what where Josh is coming from. You know, I at least you know exactly. that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> well, that's so well said because he he has a nature of him that is, like you said, intuitive, not only in evaluating dogs, but I'll also see him in training. Mm-hmm. You know, I might be doing something with a dog and he's been around it so long. He might say, you know, why don't we try this? And we're working with a young dog right now. It's a funny story. It's an uncle to moose, but he's nine months old now. Um, <laughs> dad's long passed, but yeah. the, the frozen semen way uh, brought us a chance for another puppy out of that lineage. And he's not like Moose. And so I'm trying to train him like Moose and I'm getting frustrated and everything else. Josh says, well, maybe, maybe his personality is just that much different. Yeah. You know, let's try something else. And we're doing that. And all of a sudden the dog's starting to blossom. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was his intuitive nature to say something's not clicking with this dog. And we think he should be like this, but he's not. So let's back up the steps and try to figure out what, you know, is the, in the intuitive bucket, what, does this dog resonate with? How can we push him forward? Right. And he just passed last weekend his uh, test of natural ability. Nice. And uh, we're trying to get him ready to uh, run a little bit in the fall. Don't know if we'll make it to that or not, but just that change, you know, it's like you said, that intuitive nature of, you know, something's not clicking here. I think we need to back up a step. And he sees that so quickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we can get a dog that's high strung and he can figure out how to work with it and, you know, get it into control. And yet we can work with a dog that's, you know, almost a shadow jumper, I call them. They're scared of everything mm-hmm. and get them bolded up so they're ready to be introduced to the process. Um, and he's very, very good at those things. Well, I, uh, I I can't wait to get him on. So, I mean, 
to go ahead and put it out there. We're going to have a, 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 a part two to the Trinity Kim, Kennels episodes. And honestly, I would like to continue just talking to you guys. Just, you know, this ain't no sponsor type relationship. Like, obviously, we're going to be talking about dogs for a good long time. Um, and I would like yeah. to keep keep up with the matriculation of, of 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 your kennels from from this point forward because of those things like what is this little puppy going to look like in in three years from now right like yeah when it when is the light bulb going to click on because we know that there is a light bulb first of all like yeah <laughs> as half the battle is even getting a dog with a light bulb but then the next thing is all right when it clicks what does that look like you know is it a click like oh okay like i'm I'm ready for the next stage or does it click like, okay, I, I, I've moved from, from first grade to, you know, advanced placement, you know, classes or something like that. You know, it, it that dog yeah. may surprise you. It may it just, may. It, it, it may just be a very, very, very slow start. And once that ball is rolling, they gone. I guess I'm a teacher, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm a school teacher and, I got students that are like that. It's at I had one kid last year, man, that, that that just he could not draw to save his life. I mean, I I wouldn't put no kind of money on that. And it was like I don't know what it was. I ended up having oh when when COVID hit. Matter of fact, um, he was struggling within class projects, and when we got to doing stuff virtually, out of all of my other students, and I tell you, this kid was a, a goofball. I mean, he he just didn't have it. Let him go. Let him figure his stuff out on his own. I mean, I never seen any better work. Yeah. And sometimes it's just changing, changing it up, changing the game, you know, letting them. Yeah either blossom on their own or assisting them when they need to. I don't it dogs are weird, man, but I've just learned a lot being a teacher. <laughs> yes. So you're saying it exactly right. It's the examples of the difference between Moose and my dog Czar, who's mm-hmm. about a year younger than Moose. Right. Czar was the one that drove me crazy. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason the light bulb went on and he's fantastic. You know, Moose has always been right. high drive, high intensity. I mean Moose is one of those dogs that you could you could train probably under 90% of the methods out there and end up with a great dog. And then he, but he not just all got dogs it. are like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I mean, that's just the nature of it. I mean, it's, it's so interesting um, that you're even, um, you know, field trialing, you know, dogs and, and you've got champions and, and, and you've, you've, you've got a lot of success there, but what's interesting to me um, when I think of, of trialing and things like that, I understand it. we're talking about a totally different system. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a gamble, right? We're talking about gambling yep. on a dog. Um, yep. It's it, 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 it comes down to how long you want to gamble. You know, how long you want to sit at the spades table. That's, that's the way I think about it. I'm a buddy, a historian friend of mine, Steeple Bell. Um, he was telling me about um, developing setters and why there are so many pointers in the field trial game and in and in in a few less setters. Well, kind of like moose, right? Like you gotta you 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 pretty much come in with a full a full hand of spades. I mean, you know that you' about to win, yep. <laughs> and you've got yep. those other dogs that are just you know. Y- it may take a little bit longer. You just got to sit at the table and ride it out for a second. 
Yep. And absolutely correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I and I like the fact that you you are spending the time to to get a better gamble on the dogs. I mean, breeding in and of itself is a gamble. But you're 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 yeah. using the knowledge prior to and partnered up with with your son, and y'all are make you know shifting the odds in our favor. And I can't say that I've met a whole lot of people that are able to literally you know study everything that you guys have and shift the odds in your favor. Yes, you know. Um, yep, it's a different mentality. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, going forward, we um. As I was reading through your history, something that really stuck out to me. Now, I'm a writer. Okay, I write for, um, I just had a few publications here and there. But you've had the privilege um, early on, if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, to to guide for Joel Vance. He was a former editor of Field and Stream and Missouri Department of Natural Resources, so on and so forth. Like, tell me about that. Was that, was that a defining moment? Like, what? tell me about that story. Yes, that, that was the defining moment. So that's when I still owned my American Britneys, fresh out of college. A buddy of mine was in the DNR, fresh out of college, and had met Joel somehow through their DNR connections. And Joel was coming up to hunt with him on his family's farm, which is kind of where I really learned the trade of bird dogs and hunting with dogs and, and so on and so forth. Um, and he got stuck traveling in weather and called me in a panic on a Friday night. And this was back in the pre-cell phone days. So he calls me at home and goes, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I was planning on going hunting. Why? And he goes, well, I'm stuck. And Joel Vance just pulled into my folks' house and he's expecting me to take him hunting tomorrow. I obviously can't. Can you take Joel? And I said, sure, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, at that point in time, what young man who wouldn't guide somebody who's being published in Gundog you know, on every, in an every issue manner. Right. Um, I, I was like thrilled. And so called over to his folks, talked to Joel, uh, went out there in the morning, picked him up and we drove over to our first spot. I unloaded, uh, my American Brittany. He unloaded two French Britneys, and I just stopped. Cause I was like, that looks like a Brittany, but the <laughs> one is a different color and they're a little different. And I'm like, huh, what are those? And he said, those are French Britneys. Oh, and I didn't want to appear ignorant and say, well, what's the difference between that and American? So I just said, oh, and we went on and we hunted for the day and had a great day. But we got to the end of the day and I just said to Joel, you know, those dogs really intrigue me. Um, I really am, you know, becoming infatuated in one day with what, what they do and how they react to you and their mannerisms and how they perform in the field. And I said, uh, you keep asking me what you owe me. You don't owe me anything except for one thing. And he said, what's that? And I said, I want the phone number so I can call and order my first race tonight. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and uh, over the years after that, I got my dogs. And actually, Joel fell in love with one of my males. So I bred back to a couple of his females a number of times. And, uh, yeah, as he went to be the editor of Field and Stream, he got a little busier. So we didn't, you know, didn't have the chance to get together as much. But he was – it was – the defining moment for me and I had been searching for the dog that I felt really fit with me and with where I wanted to go with bird dogs and that was the day I found him. That's cool man that's cool I, yeah. I something about that story just resonated I mean like I was looking through your history and I was like I need to ask this like what 
what was it about the you know this particular moment you know it's i don't know i guess it just it it, it was like a a it just really rang, you know, through there. Um, yeah, it was an epiphany moment for me because I, you know, it's like I told you, I'd been with the short hairs, didn't like that, was with the American Britneys and, and liked them a lot better. Um, still consider them, a, you know, part of, of really the history of the French Britney, but, you know, still just looking for something that was more personable and, you know, that just that leveled down maybe from the amped upness of the American Britney, and there it was. Right. You know, and still in a pointing dog package. Nice. So tell tell me this then. What what were what were the notable differences between you know because you you had a, an American out, Britney out there and you had a French Britney out there. I mean, yep. both of you guys. Had, what were the differences? I mean, they were plain as day. They had to be. Yeah. Well, part of it was um, I noticed. You know, my American Britney was more amped up, and I loved her. She was probably my favorite American Britney ever. Um, but <clears throat> she was more amped up. Uh, I wouldn't have tried to put her in the house, you know, with young, with young Josh at the time who would have been maybe just about two. Um, you know, it's just too active, too hyper. Um, she hunted real well, but his dogs hunted every bit as good, if not better. And that struck me that you could have this dog that acts like it's your best friend and sits on the tailgate beside you in between hunts. And, you know, Joel talks about putting him in the hotel room with him all the time when he's on the road. And just the whole package was there of the dog that's my best friend and my pet and everything else. But yet you'd turn him loose in the field and they hunted just as good as the American Brittany did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was really what struck me. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think deep inside my soul somewhere I was looking for them and, and they were looking for me. We just hadn't found each other yet. Wow. Okay. I, um, I, 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 I think once you, like everybody finds their calling, um, for particular dogs and they do it the way that, yep. uh, that happens. I've got my story, right? My, mine was not quite as cool as yours. <laughs> it wasn't that cool, but you know, we, we, we got there. Um, but you have to recognize when you um, when you're on some and 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 I I you know Jeff I might call myself a bit of a snob about certain dogs I probably am um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure my wife has told me that a couple of times um, I'm, I'm pretty I've sure heard that as well yeah <laughs> but yo when you find something good you find something good man I mean yeah and you stick to it and you just make it better um and and that's that's what it was like it was just like you found that lump of gold Mm -hmm. you know that you've been looking for for so long it's like ooh, right i think that's it you know and you grab onto it and and you go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i just uh i i i i like that there was obviously the, the the connection to a field and stream writer because yes that's a personal connection to me but then to be able to say to, to just wake up like I think well, we were talking about God and spirituality and the Bible and things like that earlier you got to wake up and go what you're calling you know yep. it, 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 and moments like that don't present themselves every day you just got to do it that is no coincidence that your buddy got stuck and said hey look I need a favor yes that there's no coincidence <laughs> to that and now no we got you know 30 years later we, we've got 
Trinity Kennels. Yes. And I would have never dreamt that that day. You know, mm-hmm. my goal at that point in time was not even to become Trinity Kennels. It was to find that dog. Right. That was the first step. You know, and once you had them, the rest of it just kind of grew and became history because you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, you found your calling. Right. Well, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, too, because I'm going to critique our very fast paced culture nowadays. Yep. It is very easy to and this is probably more so of a message to listeners than it is, you know, for either of us. But it is very easy to get caught up in the oohs and ahs of being a dog trainer. Right. You go out, yeah. you, you, it, it looks cool. Take a couple of photos. But what is your actual true connection to the dog? Like I can go out today or tomorrow and go get me a short hair, take a couple of good pictures. But I don't think that I don't think it resonates the same when when you are truly invested in the actual breed for the betterment like it there's a lot of people that look cool with dogs i think that's what i'm trying to say but but the the people that i care the most to talk to are the ones that are i mean just up to the eyebrows in the breed of their choice and 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 doing it better you know yes that i i totally agree and you can see it i mm -hmm. mean you can just see it and feel it and there are some people that are excellent in any breed. Right. I don't care what breed it is, but you see them with those dogs. And then you see somebody, like you said, that is truly invested in the betterment of their breed long-term. Absolutely. Those are the people that really you want to dig in deep with because they actually have spent the time and, and have gained some knowledge. I don't think any of us have gained all knowledge yet on any breed. Mm-hmm. But to dive in and to try to get to that point um, for the betterment of the breed, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, it's not about the money nope. uh, or we wouldn't have quit a long time ago. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Yeah. But it is about how do I make it better and how do I do better? And, you know, we stay in close contact with a majority of our clients. How do we help them do better at what they want to do with the breed? Um, and that, that, if you have somebody that cares that much, then you've got somebody you really want to dig into it with because you can learn a lot about the breed, but you're also with another passionate dog person. Right. So when I was with George Hickox, you know, he is passionate about that breed. I got the chance to see Bolt, you know, and Bolt, even in his current age, is a man among boys when you see him beside other dogs. But George's passion around those dogs and the way he handles them and the way he deals with them is so different from some other trainers and handlers that I've seen in the same breed that I know why he's successful. He right. cares to a point to be successful, if I can say it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, George is still dominating now. I mean, it. It. Yep. I, I literally just read him. Read about him in a. Uh, American Phil, what was that setter's name that he is working now? Um, oh, I cannot remember the name. But anyway, um, the point being, the best the best dog man will withstand the test of time, regardless. Yes. They will withstand the test of yep. time. And um, 
you know, I, I, I think that resonates with so many people. Um, and dog men don't get old, man. <laughs> they just <No>. don't like, <laughs> um, you know, it, it may be all that walking and running around after dogs that we do, but yeah, it's funny because, you know, you talk about Delmer, I think he just turned 90. Yeah, he is. Mistaken. I, he's either ninety or ninety-one or ninety-two. I know it's one of one of those. Yeah, yeah. And you look at you know he's still around, right? And he did the circuit and he did all the dog training. And it's not for the faint of heart, you know. Right now, working with puppies and working with young dogs and everything else, I'm putting six hours a day at least into our dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not a game where you can say, okay, I'm going to go out put food in the water dish and clean the kennel and you know, do the thing and, and I'm done. It takes so much more than that, but that passion and care shows, you know, in, in the outcomes that happen behind it. And you look at Delmer's legacy, he's got two sons that have kennels. Absolutely. Carrying that legacy on, you know, for generations to come, hopefully. Right. Right. Oh, he will. He will. I mean, he's, he's got two sons there and, and then the little ones are, handling dogs too i mean yep you know so that 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 there is gonna be um there and if i'm being even more um if i'm 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 going to do a shameless plug to orvis for that one because you know they've got that orvis connection as well so that 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 legacy is solidified courtesy of delmar and 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 delmar's brother i mean both of them rick you know yep Yep. 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 Um, so I, I think I, I really, really, really enjoy your philosophy, your story and, and how you've come along in this. So really we were talking about a two part episode, but I feel like we're going to be doing a bit more because there's, again, it's, it's always about the aspect of learning. And I feel like if I talk to you in six months, it's going to be some new epiphany, you know? There very well could be <laughs> both for both of us. Cause I've learned that, you know, like I said, I've done this a long time and you know, you start out with Richard Walters when I was a kid, Yep. you know, and then you meet a guy like a Delmer Smith. Right. And now you become involved with a guy like a George Hickox. It's mm-hmm. life is a pathway of learning. Mm-hmm. And I think if you treat it that way, it, it becomes very enjoyable, but it can also be very successful. Right. And that's, that's, that's all it is. And to, to take the name Trinity Kennels, I mean, it's infinite, right? Like it, you never stop. Yeah. And Correct. I don't know if that was your original intent, but that's kind of what I get <laughs> from, from the name. That was, yeah. Well, you can tell our, our religious affiliation by our discussion, but mm-hmm. yes, that was part of it was that right there. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, what are we going to name a kennel if we actually start doing this for real? And that's what came out of the discussion. Well, you blessed your kennel. How about that? There you go. <laughs> you, have per- you have perpetually blessed your kennel. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll take that blessing. There you go. There you go. Well, Jeff, you know, I, I know this is only the first of, of, of many parts, but you know, where do we, I'm going to say it again on the next episode too, but where, where do we go to contact you? Um, find you, how, how can folks get a hold of you? Sure. Um, and Josh actually gave me all the 
formal instructions to seize the guy with all the data behind all this stuff. But <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I believe on Facebook it's at Trinity Breton. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Trinity Breton, and on the web we're TrinityKennels.org. Cool, 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 cool. And it is a it is a wonderfully. I actually I'm on it now. I'm on the website now. It is a very 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 thorough website. So I I can appreciate that too. I mean it's it's very well done. Um, all the information's there. So, well, Jeff. Yeah. Kudos. Kudos to Josh on that one. He's my guy there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we will be speaking to Josh on the next episode. Um, and, and Jeff, I thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Darrell. I did, too. This was a great time. Yep, yep, yep. And 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 again, I'm going to say it 100 million times. I am so grateful that you um, you guys agreed to sign on as a sponsor for the gun dog notebook podcast. And I do believe that I will, I will make you guys proud. I, I believe you will as well. Bill. And I, I look at this as another, uh, another time where I met another bird dog brother. Oh yeah. Now, and now, now we just got to get out in the field. Holds. Now we got to get out in the field. That's right. Yep. Yep. There you go. Yep. 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 And, and you'll, you'll get a chance to see my old crazy dog too. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I do it a Fair little enough. different. I, I guide with, uh, or not a guide, I hunt with uh, a retriever and a pointer. So both of them got their roles. So yep. you kind of see, I bring a little bit of that uh, that that Southern culture up up to Iowa. That's good. Mm-hmm. We look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, Jeff. I, uh, I'm i going to stop the podcast here. Um, guys, that's another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. And, and we will catch you guys Next week with another episode. Jeff, hang on. And as always, guys, I want to thank my sponsors. The the, 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 the greatest folks in the world are you and the sponsors um, that support this podcast. So Onyx Hunt, my title sponsor, I definitely want to give a huge thank you and a huge shout out there. Um, you can a sporting dog. Guys, go check out the premium performance blend as always like i tell you know everyone um you know there's dog food and then there's there's you can do a premium performance and you know just like there's mortlet dogs and and, and all age dogs you know the 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 Yukonuba is the mortlet dog of bird dogs let's put it that way it's just better it's just just all around better um you know guys i also want to thank my affiliates um, Lion Country Supply, um, Garmin Fish and Hunt, and like I said, pretty soon we will have another very, very, very special sponsor um, coming up on the podcast soon. Um, if you haven't, guys, I'm getting closer to doing a, a much more official launch of Minority Outdoor Alliance. So, you know, like I said last week and I in, in the week before, go. Um, go on Instagram and, and go ahead and, and follow the Minority Outdoor Alliance um, as I get closer to having everything that I want to accomplish on on, on a launch. Um, you know, I'll announce more things there, but it's looking like we're, we're, we're gearing up for a very, very promising fall and a very promising future. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but I'm excited to 
be in a position and, and, and be privileged to take on the responsibility. All right, guys, like I said before, we will catch y'all next week on another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. See you soon.